celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry, you are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. Come to you coast to coast, from Montana to into North Carolina, and all points in between, uh, from from our homes to your living rooms to your homes as well, from the World Wide Web. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Uh, we have a special podcast on tap for you today. We are excited about this. Um, we do have a few uh, housekeeping items I need to discuss before we get started with our podcast tonight. We are live streaming uh, on Facebook as well as YouTube. If you'd like to join in, if you're listening to the audio edition of the podcast, we want to welcome you to join us for the live feed. Uh, we are on every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So we uh, we'll hope, hope and pray that you can join us for that. Again, if you do have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to leave them in the comment box, and we will get to them as soon as we can. And uh, we know that uh, this this podcast, this episode, has the potential of drawing some uh, comments and questions as we go along. Uh, so first and foremost, few housekeeping items. Um want to let you know that uh, I have a book that is set to publish here sometime in the next few months. We'll give you uh, more information as uh, it becomes available, uh, we're calling it uh, Conversations About Heaven. And so that should be uh, ready to roll here uh, in the next uh, really the next few months. So if it comes out before the season ends, we'll be sure to let you know about that. Uh, we also uh, are writing a book as a team on creationism. Uh, this is through the Bellator Christie team. This will be available in the spring of 24. And so uh, we're really excited about this. Uh, that about this book project, uh, I think it will be a, a blessing and benefit uh, to many people. And so uh, that will give you more information, especially as we enter into season seven uh, coming up uh, next September. During the summer, we do have a few um, special podcasts for you. We're not going to do the summer interview series this this year. Because uh, to be quite honest with you, I, I need a little, of a re- little bit of rest uh, between our seasons. And so, uh, but I will have uh, just a handful of podcasts for you during the summer. They'll be very brief, about five to 15 minutes in length. We're going to call this the Bellator Christie Overtime. And so we've got a few things we're going to discuss with you coming up on the summer. This will only be available to you through the audio version of Bellator Christie. So it won't be on Facebook. It won't be on YouTube. Uh, you can only catch it by subscribing to the Bellator Christie podcast on uh, various apps like Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and really anywhere that podcasts are found. So, again, that'll be coming up to uh, for you during the summertime. So tonight we were going to uh, continue our study on soteriology, but we're going to uh, take a bit of a pause tonight to discuss another issue that is really pressing, uh, an issue that is of great importance uh, to the church at this time. And, and we're talking about revivalism. We're talking about 
what is a revival, what constitutes a revival. And the thing that really brings this to mind, the, the, the reason why we're even talking about revivals at this juncture is because of a revival that's taking place at Asbury University. And this has become a hotbed of controversy and really shouldn't be, in my opinion, but it's become a hotbed of controversy in some circles, even among Christians. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about revival. We're going to talk about what constitutes revival and how we should approach uh, the revival going on at Asbury University. And we're going to talk about that and a lot more tonight. But as we begin, I want to be honest with you when I say that the devil has been fighting this episode strongly for the past hour. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you everything from my email, uh, my inbox acting really bizarre to even having to recreate uh, the uh, Zoom session for tonight to be able to have it ready to go. And then when we get ready to come on, Curtis's video is not working. He has to log out and log back on. I mean, really bizarre stuff that's happening tonight. So if you're watching with us live, if you've joined on joined with us live, we're going to ask you if you will take a moment uh, to bow with us in prayer as we uh, pray for God's protection over this podcast tonight, as, as we pray uh, for his blessings to come through what we're doing tonight as well. So if you would take a moment and pray with us, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Hmm. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and thankful to be able to have this podcast, to be able to have this medium that you have given us to share theological, apologetic, philosophical, and biblical mm-hmm. truth mm-hmm. to to those who are seeking answers, who have questions, and th- or even those who just want to learn a little bit more about you and your word. Uh, Lord, we we pray that uh, the revival that's going on in Kentucky is is just a is just the first fruits of a larger revival that'll take place across our nation and across our world. Lord, we we are hurting. We have many things that are troubling us. We have many anxieties. We have uh, wars, rumors of wars. We have plagues, and we have all of these different things. We know that there are many people out there hurting, many people out there looking for answers. And we just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come down upon us tonight and upon those who are listening or watching the podcast tonight. We pray that you would put a shield of protection, a hedge of protection around us. And we just pray, Lord, that through this podcast that the flames of your revival, the flames of your Holy Spirit would would burst forth upon those who are listening and participating and really upon upon the ministry that you've set before us, and not only just with us, but for each and every person, Lord, who may be joining us, whether it's three seconds or whether it's for the entire podcast. We pray your blessings upon each and every one. So we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So with that, we're going to turn it over to our cowboy apologist, <laughs> Curtis Evelyn. Well, this uh, this whole uh, revival and revivalism that's really starting is is uh, is something that that 
many of us have prayed for continuously. Um, our church specifically um, prays on a weekly basis with uh, churches in the valley. Uh, it don't matter. We, it, it, it don't matter. We're seeking after the same God, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got all the denominations in this valley that are uh, walking hand in hand, saying the the tertiary issues are are things that we can hold, um, you know, after we've we've walked arm in arm with each other, and and that being, um, you know, we've got we've got Baptists, we've got Pentecostals, we got we got some reformed, we got some, you know, so it, it's a, it's a, it's a really broad spectrum. And we pray every week for uh revival, revival in the Valley and revival in our hearts and, and so on. And, and uh, just seeing this um, going on in Kentucky is um, it's inspiring. It's exciting. And it's, um, something that um we've sought for we've sought for for a long time and i know there's many around this country that have sought for it coming out of uh the <laughs> coming out of 2019 and 2020 we were in a complete different place as a country mm-hmm. and i you're seeing now the things bubbling up out of the out of that out of that uh, um, church soup, so to speak. You see pastors falling away. You see things being brought to light. Do you think that maybe that is God cleansing His temple, cleansing His people, cleansing His bride, saying, "Come and visit. Come with me." I believe so. I believe it's a it's a it was a time of of exposing things that needed to be exposed, brought out into the light so it could be healed or um, gotten rid of. Um, I don't think this is a time where um, we should be so pious as to say um, it is not a revival and it is not um, of God. I think well, it's I, dangerous. I'll tell, tell you what, let's, let's, let's jump into this oh, yeah. because we've got oh, yeah. to, we've territory to cover because we're going we're going to come back to that point and yep. uh and, and really hit that hard because we want to show the different perspectives especially for those who may not know uh maybe caught off guard yeah for sure yeah so what is going on down at asbury uh university um that sparked a debate uh on revivals so Asbury University is nestled in the small community of Wiltmore, Kentucky. Now I've never been there, uh, but I'm, I've I've heard that it's it's a really small community. Uh, Asbury University and Seminary is home to numerous high quality professors, including New Testament scholar Craig Keener, New Testament yeah. scholar uh, Ben Witherington the Third, and many many others. On February 8th, 2023, during a chapel meeting, it started innocently enough, the speaker called on people to embrace the love of God and let go of past hurts. Uh, he was talking about, you know, some people have been hurt in church, some people have been hurt by family and friends. He said, just come down and, and, and release that hurt and embrace the love of God. 
Since then, a nonstop revival has continued 24 hours a day for each consecutive day. Now, it started February 8th, and now today, the day we're recording this podcast, is Thursday, February 16th. So it's gone that long. And, and uh, this is nothing new for Asbury Seminary. In fact, they had a uh, they had a they had a revival like this back in 1970, around the 70s, and again in 1950, and I believe in the uh, around 1950ish, I believe they had something uh, of this effect. I think for both of those revivals, if not, I'm not mistaken, I know at least one of them lasted for a solid two weeks. In fact, it's said of one of those revivals that took place that all the bars in town closed down. It, it didn't only impact the uh, it didn't only impact the university, but it impacted uh, the entire community. People there were people getting saved. There were people who were being revived, refreshed. It really had a tremendous impact on the community. And so, uh, what is interesting is that not is that the worship leaders had been, as you mentioned, Curtis. Interestingly enough, they had been praying for revival to come for several weeks, and they only wanted the revival to occur to occur for the campus and community. However, word spread on social media, and people have come to Asbury from across the nation and even across the world. Some people, as far as Brazil have made their way, made the track up to Wiltmore, Kentucky, to be part of this revival. Now, there are some people, what's interesting about this revival is that there are no screens, uh, there's no smoke or, or anything of the sort that many people believe make for a, uh, a a compelling worship service. It's just a simple, simple service. People singing, there's people who are preaching, and, and really a big prayer group. And I want to read to you because there's some people out there who seem to suggest that uh, that this has been uh, so- something that is uh, been planned. Uh, but I want to I want you to listen real briefly to an interview that Glenn Beck, whether you agree with him or not, Glenn Beck had uh, he spoke to a lady by the name of Allison uh, Perfader uh, from Asbury, and I want you to just listen to this interview as she discusses how this uh, revival took place. No, maybe those were those balloons were aliens. What? That has a weekly just come on down if you want to get prayed on. And there was just a couple dozen students there that they were gathering. It's been going on now since February 8th, 24 hours a day, and people are coming from all over the country. It's miraculous. Allison Perfader is with us now. She is with uh, the, she's actually the student body president at Ashbury University. Hello, uh, uh, Allison. How are you? Oh, good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I think this is, I mean, this uh, almost brings tears to my eyes. This is such a miraculous thing that's going on. Tell us about yeah. it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like you said, it's miraculous. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of Wilmore, Kentucky, but we have one street and we call it downtown. <laughs> and so when the whole world is watching us, you have to wonder what is God doing here? There's nothing about here that people want to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so this started on February 8th. It wasn't planned, right? It just, correct. Just started. And then how, how did other people, I mean, that's a small town. 
how, how did it go on for even just the first 24 hours? What was yeah, happening? Yeah, um, it's like you said, uh, February 8th, we had our our regular chapel, and then uh, a couple students didn't leave, and then a couple students heard that a couple students didn't leave, and then um, President Brown came over, and I came over to see what was happening, and and, and I, I, I can just say that Holy Spirit was was so present there, you could almost see it, and we were just going, wow, what is going on? And then our surrounding communities heard about it, and obviously social media played a huge role in, in spreading the word, and we've had friends now from Brazil and Indonesia, and I mean, everybody, everybody wants in on it. <laughs> I had to tell you, I want to take my family. Um, this is, this is, um, this is something that I, I really respect, um, the fact that you didn't push this out on social media. You, you are, you're not hyping this. You're kind of a reluctant group to make a big deal out of this because you say it's a, it's really a sacred thing that just is happening organically and you don't want it to be a circus, Right. Right. Yeah, and especially because I think something that Asbury and a lot of universities and honestly just my generation struggles with is is pride. And what we've seen here is just such a radical humility that students are standing up and and confessing things that have been done to them or that they've done. And, and they're opening their hearts up to not only the presence of God, but to each other. And that is a very intimate thing. And so there are some mixed feelings about it, it becoming global. And it's obviously amazing and it's great, but but there is that that core of honesty that, that we're still holding on to. Well, I and the interview goes on from there and it's about an eight minute uh, interview. You can find it on uh, YouTube. Uh, look up Glenn Beck uh, talks about Asbury revival and you can hear the uh, interview in its entirety. So, what we find from that clip is that this was not planned. This was not staged. They had been praying for this to happen. They didn't really want it to expand uh, out more than what it did, but it did. Uh, and people were confessing sins. People were confessing things that had been done to them. There was healing. There was transformation going on in the lives of individuals uh, there and in the lives of people who were coming to this revival. Now, what is most disappointing, however, is that critics, cynics, skeptics, and naysayers have aligned themselves in three particular camps. The first camp accepts this as a move of God, noting the power behind such revival, such movements that God pr- provides. The second camp is in the extreme opposite. This camp denies that this is an authentic revival. Rather, they argue that this is nothing more than sheer emotionalism and lacks biblical validation, among other things that they would argue. The third group uh, moderates between the positive and negative assessments and holds that we should just wait and see whether this is a genuine revival or not. Now, the problem I have with the second group is that they seem to operate from a mode of confirmation bias. Now, what is confirmation bias? Confirmation bias occurs when a person holds a particular conviction and only examines data that confirms already preconceived bias already held. For instance, let's say a person doesn't believe in the existence of ants, but they see an ant hill with small insects traveling in and out of the hill. 
So then the person will look at every possible angle to confirm that the little critters are not ants, but something else. Perhaps the skeptic will say, well, anything could have built such a hill. Maybe the hill was designed by miniature rabbits, or maybe those little bugs are ant-like beetles that resemble the mythological ant. And as you can see, something like that is ridiculous, but confirmation bias can lead to absurdities. And we see the same thing happening with uh, skeptics of the resurrection. Uh, people will say, well, because they don't believe the resurrection is possible, they'll come up with any cockamamie excuse to explain away the data that points to a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. Even still, the same occurs with individuals who maintain a strong cessationist perspective. Now, if you're a cessationist, you're still a brother and sister in Christ. And there are cessationists who are open to the idea that there may be some miracles, maybe some movements that happen in modern times. And when I say cessationist here, I'm talking about the strongest version of the sense. If you believe that, however, that God does not still work miracles and still does not bring about movements uh, of revival as witnessed at Asbury University, then a person uh, will provide every excuse under the sun to dismiss this revival and any th- any other like it as a supernatural work of God. So it should come as no surprise that the most outspoken critics, from what I've observed, uh, the most outspoken critics of the Asbury revival are, in fact, strong cessationist hyper-Calvinists. Now, again, they're still brothers and sisters in Christ, but I believe their accusations against movements like these are unfounded because they come from a, high, a, conf, a confirmation bias against modern movements of the Holy Spirit. In other words, those who hold that people do not respond to a move of God or that God no longer operates in miraculous fashions as he did in the days of Bible and the Bible times will dismiss movements like this because simply they don't believe that they happen. So you have to explain it away if you already have denied that they could even happen in the first place. So while the third view is so, so the second view uh, holds that they don't happen. The third view is kind of a wait and see approach. Now, th- this is a fair approach. I, I don't see anything necessarily wrong with a wait and see approach. But my problem is often with the uh, extreme, the often extreme measures that are placed on a movement such as this one. People convey that we need to wait and see what fruit comes out of the movement. Well, that's fair enough. But I would and I would also agree with that, that we need to see what type of fruit comes out of it. But my question concerns what about the fruit already exhibited? Is there is there a a fruit already being shown? And then if so, why can't we already claim that this is the move of God now if there's fruit being exhibited from the movement as we see now? And then another question I have, how much time must elapse before we call this a move of God? And how stringent are the criteria set in place? Now, I understand the need for being cautious, and I understand the need for for using discernment. We need to test the spirits in all things. But from what we can see, the reports coming out of Asbury, for those who are open to such moves as this, they seem to really confirm that there are some amazing things happening at Asbury University that really coincide with what we see historically from moves of God in times past. So if you, if, as my dad always says, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it swims like a duck, 
chances are highly likely it's a duck. So in like manner, if you see a revival where you it's operating according to these standards and you see transformations that are happening and you see all of these things taking place, why can't we go ahead and call this a move of God? Even if there are some people who may abuse it, and even if there are some people, I mean, listen, you can abuse chocolate if you wanted to. You, you know, chocolate's good. I love chocolate. But if you eat 500 pounds of chocolate in one setting, that's not going to be good, obviously. Uh, you can abuse anything. So could there abuses come? Of course. But that's, that's not to say that this isn't, it couldn't be called an authentic move of God. Again, yes, caution, discernment, I understand that. But my question is, at what point do we reach the consensus of saying there are some amazing things happening? Why can't we go ahead and say that God is moving at least in some people's lives at Asbury University? Hmm. You know, here's a, here's a um, kind of a, a picture to, to take in, um, cautious surfers usually miss the best wave. Oh, so expand on that. Just saying, (laughs) I mean, you know, we don't get, we don't get surfing around here, but I'm just saying, yes, but you, you think about it. Um, Brian, I, I, where I agree with, what you're saying um, uh, with the being cautious, I, I still don't think that um, I, I don't I don't necessarily um, see anything that's part of this that would be cautious. None. There's nothing well, to me that would would signify uh, as being cautious. I, Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, and and I think that uh, from and just to be fair for those who take this perspective, I think a lot of times um, th- there have been things that's happened that that have been abused in God's name, and I th- I think that's where that mindset is coming from. But but like what you're saying, I would agree that that we're seeing some amazing things happening now. Again. Could there be in a in a group of five hundred people or a thousand people? Could there be one or two that abuse it and do things that they shouldn't do? Well, of course. But does that does that negate the movement of God that's already happening in the lives of the nine hundred and fifty eight uh, as a pair, compared mm-hmm. to a handful of people who who may not? I mean, that's the that that's the problem I have, and I and I and, I, and there again. If it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, swims like a duck, and, and uh, flies like a duck, chances are highly likely it's a duck. And I think this has a lot of markers that really verify uh, its validity. Yeah. I just I, – I, I have a hard time with this whole with this whole topic. You've got young people, college-age young people, that were choosing to – be in church, praising God, praying, confessing sins, repenting, turning from their ways, all of that, while Valentine's Day, while Super Bowl, while, uh, I mean, yeah. for pity's sake, come on. You can't, shouldn't you be excited that they're, not at, that they're not at the bars? Shouldn't you be excited that they're not? I mean, come on. That's exactly right, and I didn't even think about that. You're right. It went through the Super Bowl. It went through Valentine's Day, and 
you know, there are times where there are ebbs and flows to this sure. because, you know, early mornings, you may only have a handful of people there well, in the afternoons and evenings. You're going to have a larger packed crowd, uh, but, but it's ongoing. It's continuing. And the fact, as you mentioned, that people decided to be in church rather than the Super Bowl. I mean, we hear people complaining all the time that why aren't people in church? Well, here yeah. you have that's my God. Point. people are yeah. in church yeah. and people are fussing yeah. about that. Yeah, that's, that's my point. <laughs> What pastor wouldn't want this scenario? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I hadn't even considered that. That's an excellent point. I mean, they were at Super Bowl. During Super Bowl Sunday, they were in the church. Wow. <laughs> so earlier today on on the on Facebook, we had kind of a little bit of a discussion going. And one of the one of the comments came up. It was a it was a meme. And it said it was us praying for revival. God sends, says, okay, I'm sending a revival. And then it's us saying, wait a minute, um, this revival doesn't quite look the way we really want to have it into our, into our box here of how we should, how we think it should look. Um, you know, and it's like, yeah, we pray for it. And then it comes and now we're going to critique how it looks just because it doesn't fit our, our picture of what it should look like. I think our friend Matthew Smith shared that one in that. Yeah. And that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So yeah, very good. So let's, let's kind of step back here just a second for those that may not know and to kind of maybe help us uh, maybe get a, um, a uh, even, even ground to step from. So at the batter plate, we're, we're sitting on good dirt. Um, What is revival? So revival is understood as a revitalization of one's heart, mind, and soul. Revivals are the supernatural working of God that leads people back to their first love, back to a stronger commitment to God, sometimes evoking a sense of calling, and can involve involve, uh, evangelism where the lost come to faith. Uh, Revivals often accompany preaching, singing, prayer meetings, and sometimes just worshiping together, I mean, there have been times where, where these revivals have come about, even when people are just quietly experiencing the very presence of God. Uh, a guy by the name of Theodore Frit- Freeling Hewson, uh, Hewson, I guess is how you say his name, of New Jersey, brought about a revival that spawned into the Great Awakening of the 1730s and 40s from his messages first delivered in the, in the 1720s. Uh, Freelinghusen was a Dutch Reformed pastor influenced by Puritanism. Now, now understand when we talk about Edwards and some of these guys, now they were a little more on the deterministic side, but they were still open to the freedom of the will, at least to a degree. So we wouldn't call them as strong Calvinists as some modern hyper-Calvinists would be. But uh, but his preaching divided the, the Dutch congregations, but also led to revival in several of the churches of, in his charge. And about that time, the Tennant family, William Sr. and his four sons, preached revival messages that influenced Reformed and Presbyterian churches in Pennsylvania and New Jersey in the 1720s and 30s. Similar things happened in 1734 and 1735 in the Congregational Church at Northampton, Massachusetts, under the ministry of the great revivalist Jonathan Edwards, uh, successor to his grandfather Solomon Stoddard. Now, Edwards was not 
what you would call a very vibrant preacher. In fact, he had notes and he would read and sometimes a kind of a monotone voice read the, 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 through his notes. He preached messages like sinners in the hands of an angry God. And a lot of times he would just read his messages, but the spirit captivated so, the people there so much and with such intensity that some people felt that like they were stepping on the flames of fire uh, from hell and they need to go down and make things right with God. I mean, there was just that overwhelming spiritual revival that happened in the hearts and minds of the lost, uh, a revitalization that happened in the, in the lives of those who were already saved. And um, Jonathan Edwards, though the revival didn't last long under his charge, uh, he became the authority on revivals and revivalism he wrote voluminously. He wrote several books, uh, and, and quite honestly, several of his works are referenced as the gold standard when uh, looking to see what a revival should look like. In fact, we're going to read a little bit from Jonathan Edwards in the podcast today. Not long after this, uh, two brothers from England, Anglican brothers at that, John and Charles Wesley, led revivals across the nation. Now, interestingly, while um, Jonathan Edwards, the revivals didn't last that long in Northampton, uh, with Wesley, uh, the revival fires of the Great Awakening lasted some throughout his itinerant preaching career, which spanned some 52 years. Uh, John was known as more of a theologian. His brother Charles was known more as the musician. Charles Wesley wrote a bunch of hymns, classic hymns, that we still sing even today. Um, so Wesley was successful in most places where he traveled, except for one area, and that was the state of Georgia. He had a disastrous ministry there. But outside of Georgia, he had he had a great success. And so, uh, but through these guys, these guys, we see these awakenings taking place. We even see other revivals that would uh, come about in the 1900s. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and even from that point onward, but we still see revivals. Uh, we haven't seen a massive revival happen in many years, but could this be the time where it may very well be? So let's just jump into that one then. What are, uh, some of the evidences of a genuine revival? Okay. Uh, I took a class at Liberty, um, on Jonathan Edwards. And this is one of two. Can you see this? This is one of two volumes of his works. And with print like that. Holy cats. How much, how much, uh, how many pages did he write? I, I, I remember hearing a, I remember hearing a number, but I, I don't want to say because it was it was ridiculous. I, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever heard. But like I said, you know, this some of these some of this is are, are his sermons. And again, look at the print. I mean, it's mm -hmm. tiny print. And this is some. This is a thousand pages in this one volume, and there's two of them, two of them, two books like this, the same size. Actually, this is volume two, and I think the first volume may actually be a little bit bigger than this one. But he wrote a book called Marks of the Work, Marks of the Work of the Spirit of God. Uh, Marks of the Work of the Spirit of God. And he gives what he calls negative and positive signs of a revival. And he gives some things what 
what doesn't designate uh, a revival. And some of those things are, uh, he mentions uh, some of those things are like, like if, if, if you're in ecstasy, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a big move of God. If you're, if you're ecstatic over certain things, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a revival that's taking place. But he does give five signs, positive signs of a revival. And he looks for these things whenever he sees whether or not a revival is taking place. And the first sign he writes, and, I, and I'm going to just read this specifically from the book. He says, when the operation is such as to raise their esteem of Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who was crucified without the gates of Jerusalem, and seems more to confirm and establish their minds in the truth of what the gospel declares to us of his being the Son of God and the Savior of men, is a sure sign that it is from the Spirit of God. So it's going to confirm, it's going to esteem and elevate the person of Jesus. Number two, when the spirit that is at work operates against the interests of Satan's kingdom, which lies in encouraging and establishing sin and cherishing men's worldly lusts, this is a sure sign that it's a true and not a false spirit. So it's going to uphold righteousness and holiness. Number three, the spirit that operates in such a manner as to cause in men a greater regard to the Holy Scriptures and establishes them more in their truth and divinity is certainly the spirit of God. So he's going to elevate Jesus. He's going to stand for holiness and righteousness. He's going to um, establish and uphold the truthfulness of Scripture. Number four, another rule is to judge if spirits may be drawn from those compilations given to the opposite spirits in the last words of the sixth verse, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Uh, in other words, uh, he's going to stand for the truth. He's going to stand for truth is essentially what he's saying. And then lastly, if the spirit that is at work among a people operates as a spirit of love to God and man, it is a sure sign that it is the spirit of God. So, Look at what's going on. Look at the love and compassion that's taking place in this revival, as opposed to, and I'm not trying to be ugly here, but as opposed to the cynicism and the dis disparaging words that are being brought by some, which of the two is showing the spirit of love? I just ask you that. Hmm. You know, Brian, so, this, this, this hit me when you were just talking um about about the spirit of revival and 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 the the genuineness of revival these people are lining up to get right with god and to 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 cry out to jesus they're showing up around the building lined up they're out into the parking lot lined up they're all taking part uniformly in a service that may not be part of their particular denomination. Mm -hmm. They're not going as if those that would go or sign up to go to a conference, these people are naturally showing up to come to it. Big difference, big difference. Cause there's no big name that's, that's putting on the conference. There's no, it, it, it's that that's the part that just it, is can't we just take this in and look at it and go, okay, this there's something different here. What is it? Yeah, I agree. So 
why do our hearts desire revival? I think we often realize, and and I think maybe this is the spirit uh, prodding our hearts, but I think we often realize Mm -hmm. our need for a deeper relationship with God. Uh, We desire Mm -hmm. a deeper walk. Uh, We get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. And I think that's so easy for any of us, any of us to do. Uh, We get so Mm -hmm. caught up in the busyness that we forget sometimes to abide. You know, a lot of times, you know, you know, see what I'm saying? Sometimes we're caught up in the busyness of life that we fail to just simply abide in the presence of God and, and feed our souls. Um, sometimes people need to be recharged and rejuvenated by a fresh encounter with God. It's not that God has left us. It's not that God's not there. Right. But sometimes when you get into a corporate setting with other people who are yearning for the same thing you are, uh, it, you really get fed in a way that um, you might not otherwise be fed. I mean, there's 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 certain times in our lives where um, we need certain things to to cultivate and fertilize the faith that's already there, and so revivals right. have a way of doing it. Sometimes, even with church revivals, sometimes you know we we get used to the pastor that's there, and the pastor does a wonderful job. Pastor may be fantastic, but sometimes it may be uh, another voice coming in, another pastor, another preacher coming in who's got a a word from the Lord that may be specifically for us. Just hearing it from another voice sometimes uh, can uh, can really stir us up. So sometimes we just need that. We need that rejuvenation. We need that. We need to be recharged spiritually in our walk with the Lord. And I think that's true of all of us. I don't think there's any, I I think that anyone who thinks that they don't need a deeper walk with the Lord is someone who really desperately needs revival, (laughs) quite honestly. There's a lot there in that statement right there, for sure. Um, And here, I'm not not trying to attack anyone or anything of the sort. I'm, I'm not ungracious but at the same time I, I think that with everything going on in our world and it's as you said Curtis I, I, I really go back and I really think about the the series I've been preaching at Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church recently I've, I've been this is the first character study I've ever done in a sermon series uh, a biogra- biographical uh, examination of the life of Moses and I look at the Israelites, and they were never happy. They were complaining about everything. They said, yeah. "Lord, we don't have bread." The Lord provides it man provides a manna. Well, this is okay, but it's not like the pastries we had in Egypt. Lord, we yeah. need meat. He provides them quail. Mm-hmm. Ah, this is all right, but this ain't like the fish we used to have and the other type of meats we had in Egypt. We just need to go back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk like God is a mean ogre in the Old Testament. I'm reading this story and I'm thinking, how gracious God must be, because of one week of that, and I'd have already wiped everybody out. I was like, forget this. <laughs> Let's start over with just Moses. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but I and I look at I look at the way we respond to things anymore with such yeah. cynicism, That's such true. pessimism, uh, such. Again, I understand discernment, but such skepticism where we're at every turn, I think we've missed out what Jesus talks about having that childlike faith. Mm. 
where we're always, to borrow a term from clinical pastoral education, where we're always leading with curiosity, uh, learning and yearning to grow deeper in our walk with God. And I think that's missing in so many circles this day. And and it really Mm -hmm. challenges me because, I mean, don't get me wrong, Curtis, you've told me this. My wife has told me this. Sometimes, you know, I, I think very deeply about things and and both of you have said, well, can you simplify that just a little bit? In fact, I read mm-hmm. the paper I wrote for Eulotheria Journal. To my, I read the title to my wife, and she said, what? what? <laughs> she said, are you even speaking English? You know, so, so I get it. I'm a deep. <laughs> uh, I, I get it. Isn't a, that why I exist on this podcast? See, God brought us together <laughs> for that very reason, Curtis. But... <laughs> But so, yeah, I get it. I get we want to think deeply. I get the logical side of it, but we cannot divorce the emotional, spiritual side of our relationship with Christ because God doesn't save us and call us to be automatons or androids. We love the Lord not only with our mind, but we also love the Lord with our will and emotions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I, I just don't, um, I don't want to discount, obviously, our awe and wonder in God. Um, but I also wonder if here's the here's the kind of the big big question is, are we bringing in um, our culture isms, our culture into? Um, our relationship with God rather than letting God sift through those things and actually purify our relationship with him and his relationship with us? Wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. Yeah. The, the reality is we can't, none of us can avoid uh, the cultural influence that's all around us. I mean, we've all been influenced to some degree by media. We've all been influenced mm-hmm. By even you, you hear all the time the hope of the American dream and things of that nature, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we've been inundated with even this type of individualism that that may be a little foreign to certain aspects of biblical theology, not severely, but but there is a corporate aspect of uh, of uh, of our relationship with God individually, yes, but also as a body of believers as well. Sure. So there, we've all been impacted culturally speaking to a degree, but you're right. Sometimes we try to make God in our image rather than allowing Christ to make us in his image. Mm. And there's a big difference between the two. Hmm. Powerful. So in previous times, have earlier revivals been met with the same resistance as the one in Asbury? Absolutely. And um, we can even see how these uh, oppositions compare with the modern ones with with this movement. And again, we're mm, just missing yeah. Asbury because because this is the this is the revival at play now. But it's interesting. I, I want to read another passage uh, from uh, from another book. I, I, this is a book by if you're interested in the life of Jonathan Edwards, I highly recommend this book It's a thick one at that. Uh, but it's by George M. Marsden called Jonathan Edwards, A Life. And it's got the picture of Jonathan Edwards uh, on the very front cover. Very, very compelling book. 
But he, Jonathan Edwards was met with severe opposition. There were severe opponents, adversaries to the Great Awakening. And in fact, in fact, it grew so uh, tumultuous, uh, so uh, um, so severe that there were two groups of people that developed two two denominations or two movements. Called one called the Old Lights, which did not approve of the Great Awakening, and the other one was called the New Lights, which did approve. Of revivals and the Great Awakening, and one guy in particular was was the thorn in uh, Jonathan Edwards' side. A guy by the name of Charles Chauncey. He was called the Old Brick. Here's a picture of Charles Chauncey. If you want to take a look, uh, real quickly, uh, you see a stern look on his face. Charles Chauncey is his name, and uh, he lived from 1707 to 1787. And Charles Chauncey was a junior pastor of Thomas uh, Foxcroft at First Church. Uh, and I'm just going to read what he says here. It says he was emerging as the spokesman for the minority who were cool to the awakening. Chauncey was respected for his intellect and regarded as essentially orthodox, even if he emphasized tolerance and rationality. Only later would he emerge as openly liberal. 36 years old in 1741, he was a year younger than Edwards. He was short in stature and assertive in temperament. First church was known as Old Brick, and eventually Chauncey picked up the same nickname, perhaps because he resembled a brick, both in appearance and his solid temperament. Wow. <laughs> so In his head. <laughs> so um, he he was alarmed at what he called... Uh, a dangerous party spirit because people were getting caught up in the spirit. He didn't like that. Uh, he said that there were uh, excesses with this movement. The itinerants Chauncey now observed were increasingly preaching in the most extravagant ways. Uh, he thought sometimes trying to frighten people and otherwise arouse passions. Uh, he said scores or even hundreds of people would shriek, swoon, or fall into fits some would be praying, some exhorting, some singing, some clapping their hands, some laughing, some crying, some shrieking and roaring out. And this disturbed old brick Charles Chauncey. Uh, they were being a little too, um, a little too um, excitable uh, for old Come brick. On, you can say it. You can say it. Pentecostal. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they were a little too charismatic. For yeah, old brick, yeah. but again, I remember these 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 folks were not your typically quote unquote Pentecostal. Well, of course, Pentecostalism as a denomination that hadn't developed hadn't started by that time. Right. But they were caught up in the spirit. They were caught up right. in the, the fervor of the spirit's move upon them, and um, old brick didn't like it. And and it's interesting because these old lights uh, stood opposed not only to Jonathan Edwards. But also to uh, to other uh, uh, revivalists such George, such as George Whitfield, John Wesley, and many others. That was when I took this class on Jonathan Edwards. That, my friend, was one of the most shocking things I learned because I didn't realize that there were adversaries to one of the greatest uh, revivals in American history. Uh, but it's interestingly interesting that if you look at the accusations. Uh, launched against uh, 
Asbury University and the revival going on there, they're saying exactly the same thing. As Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could almost say that, uh, you know, you even go back into, you know, into the scriptures, look into Jesus's time, you know, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were fully, completely opposed to any work that he was doing, claiming it to be of not of God. Yeah. And, 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 and so the same mindset continues to this day, whether it be, you know, um, whether it be claiming that, uh, you know, is this really revival? You know, is this, is this of God, you know, so on and so forth. And all of those answers should be yes, but. <laughs> and again, I, and I will, and I would say here too, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I, we do, as the scripture tells us, need to test the spirits. And sure. that, that is something we need to do in all things. And of course, if, if uh, any movement is espousing uh, claims that are unscriptural. Well, then Jonathan Edwards himself would say, "That's not of God." If if they're pro- sure. if uh, movements promoting something that doesn't align with Scripture, then, then then Edwards and Wesley alike would say, "Well, that's there's a pro- there's a problem there." So I, I think using those five tests that Edwards gives us is a great way of uh, discerning or testing the spirits to see whether or not. Uh, something is of of God or not? Hmm. And just to just to think of this, the revival that's going on right now that this podcast is about, um, it, it is in w- within great care, great hands, maintaining a order, maintaining um, you know, checking the spirits, checking things that are going on. Uh, sounds to me like the the staff and the faculty and the people that are involved in the in the actual church itself are doing their due diligence. Absolutely. So, go ahead. I, well, I was actually leading into this one. We our time is creeping by, believe it or not, and I was just going to see to. Do you have we we have a bunch of scriptures listed out here? Um, do you do you want to choose maybe five? I figure we want to do the one in Acts. We've got a few scriptures that's going to talk about uh, revival, examples of revival. I'm sure we would want to do the one in Acts five, First Chronicles sixteen. Are there, you mentioned some in Psalms? Was that Psalm yeah. fourteen and twenty seven? Yeah. So let's let's start with Mark Mark 9 first though. Let's let's start there. I want to just kind of show maybe what Jesus had had uh had demonstrated or said. Okay, I'm going to share my screen here and And you said it Mark 9. Yep, Mark 9 verse 38 verse? through 40. 38 through 40, okay. Yeah, it says in 38, it says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Jesus said to him, Don't stop him, because there is no one 
who will perform miracles, a miracle in my name, who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives us a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Amen. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, what a what a great way to show how Jesus actually in himself was saying, yeah, this may not look um, to the same degree of what we're going through and what we're doing right now. But if they're doing it in my name and, and there's nothing that's being um, outside of orthodoxy, let him do it. Mm-hmm. What's the and next then one? Uh, the the next one I was. Uh, um Matthew uh seven fifteen through twenty. And actually let's go Matthew three verse eight first, because I wanted to show you that track. So Matthew three verse eight says Listen, listen to this. It says, therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. So you're, you're seeing fruit right now happen, uh, happening at this, at this revival of repentance. So, so the critics saying, you know, let's wait and see. Let's wait for the fruit, so on and so forth. Let's wait to see what the fruit comes. You know, sure, you, you can wait to see what fruit comes. But isn't their fruit already being displayed? According to the scriptures, we're seeing that now. Hmm. And then uh, Matthew seven fifteen through 20. I will read this for us here. It says, Be on your guard against uh, false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are raving, ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Hmm. Yeah. So there, we we got an opportunity right here, a very direct order of how to judge what we're seeing. It, it's it's very pointed. So um, let's go to Acts five, uh, verse thirty four through thirty nine. Hey, curse! Before we before we do that one, because uh, because if that's, that's the one I'm thinking of, uh, let, let's leave that one for the very last one. Oh, okay. you had a couple of yeah. of, of songs. Uh, that you yeah. mentioned before the podcast. So, let's take a look at those, and then we'll finish up with Acts. So let's. Um, it's actually in Chronicles is the one that I really wanted to show. Oh, okay. Um, First Chronicles sixteen, um, and we can go ten through eleven, but really, it's it, it's the whole thing. So ten to eleven. I'll go ahead and read this yeah. right quick. Uh, boast in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. 
And you can go on down to verses 12 and 13, say, remember the wondrous works he has done, his wonders and his and the judgments he has pr- pronounced. You offspring of Israel, his servant, Jacob's descendants, his chosen ones. Yeah. So this is right when David uh, was was actually in the works of bringing the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant back in to the temple, to Jerusalem. And there was there was a parade and a and a um and and it was showing a revival of as the ark was coming back to Israel it was coming back to um under the uh, under uh, Israel's hands and David is getting a revival going in the hearts of the people. Amen. So. Um, wasn't he dancing next, so hard that uh, yep. he he was uh, <laughs> scolded by some uh, some folks? Yeah, his 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 wife, uh, Michael Michael Michael. Yeah, that's um, right. She scolded him, saying, uh, "You know, what are you doing? Isn't this isn't this just disgusting? What you're doing?" He says, "I'll even get more vile if I have to." He was, you know, I'm praising God in meaning. <laughs> she wanted him to stay prim and proper and he's wailing and, and celebrating and, and jumping up and down and enjoying the celebration of the Lord. Mm. So, yeah. Um, so Psalm 14, two. I'll go ahead and read this for us right quick. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if, uh, to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. Hmm. What are these kids doing? He said, uh, all have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Hmm. How far you want to go down? That's it, yeah. Okay. So think about it. What's going on in that church right now? Are they seeking God? So then God's going to be looking down upon that with joy and with excitement. Um, let's look at um, uh, Isaiah 55 6 oh I love this one I'll go ahead and read this for us I know this is a this is a mic drop moment right here <laughs> seek the Lord while he may be found call to him while he is near and I want to go on that down because I love verse eight. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my mm. thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. Oh, let me just read verse nine. For heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Love that passage of scripture. Yep, yep. But think about that. That's a mic drop moment. Thank mm-hmm. you, Lord, for that. You know, seek the Lord while he may be found. That's what's going on, isn't it? They, they've given up all opportunities to go do something else, to seek after God. Mm. Would that not constitute as revival in your heart, in your in your life, and in, in seeing changed ways happen? Mm-hmm. I believe so. So then you wanted to go back to Acts at the mo- at the last there Acts 5:34 through 39 So 
here's a, and I think this is so very important, and this actually may go back and speak to some degree to uh, to the the wait and see approach to a to a degree. But like I said, I think we were already seeing fruit here. But but people were talking to to Gamaliel about uh, this new Christian movement, and so they pick it up in verse thirty three. Now, how far did you want to go down? Um, I just have it down for uh, uh, through thirty nine. Okay, I'll go ahead and read it. Says when they mm-hmm. heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Talking about the uh, church leaders. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, a man, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all of his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against Mm. God. Mm. They were persuaded by him. Yeah. That that right there is a scripture that when when we start talking about it and and that one was like first and foremost on my mind, on my heart, of we gotta be careful. Yes, but we also gotta be careful on the other side too, because we may just be opposing God. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's so very important. And I, and I you know, and I get I get Again, I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand the hesitation of some people wanting to discern, and I get that, and I appreciate that because you know we we do need to be careful uh, because as we just read, there are some movements. But I think Gamaliel has a lot to teach us there. This this ancient Pharisee back in the Book of Acts that if this is a move of God and we're standing opposed to it, we are technically standing against God. So. Let God be God and let mm. us just follow him. And um, I really think that we've got to be careful, quite honestly and quite frankly, about the spirit of cynicism that we have uh, about us these days. Because any time, I mean, I, listen, the chosen is being criticized because of one sentence they didn't like, one statement some people didn't like. Uh, there are are uh, other things that that people are accusing of uh, of ludicrous things. We want to have good television. We want to have revivals, but mm-hmm. when good television series or and I'm not defending everything in chosen. Understand, I'm not an advocate for chosen, but I'm just saying that when we have things out there, we're automatic. We automatically condemn them unless they align up with every minute detail that we prefer. Uh, we've got to be careful with that because what we may find ourselves be, being are a lot like the uh, the people in ancient Israel who were should have been in the promised land within a few within a month, but you end up wandering around the desert for forty years yeah. uh, when it, when they should have could have easily been there a month. And if you follow the line, the map, one of the interesting things is they started heading on the track going to the promised land, 
but they kept their cynicism. They kept all of this stuff and they kept looping back around and uh, never got anywhere. Yeah. 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 We need to be, I mean, think, love one another. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. Think of Jonah and Jonah, Jonah didn't want to go preach to Nineveh. You know, mm-hmm. he was like, what do you, you know, yeah, I know the grace of my God. He's going to, they're going to repent. They're going to turn from their wicked ways. <laughs> and what did God do? You know, um, showed up there <laughs> with, with the, with the, with the fish and, and <laughs> dumped Jonah out. And it's so powerful when you think about it, a, a whole nation, um, repented. He even told his cows they had to repent, and I just find that comical. So, anyway, uh, folks, we just we just ask that you just keep lifting this this revival up in prayer first. And I don't remember where it was said. I, maybe Brian remembers, but um, there there was a, a great speaker one time that said, um, you know, revival starts within this circle. And and he drew a circle and he was standing in it, you know. Uh, I think that's a powerful statement. It starts in our own hearts and starts in our own desires. And um, revival needs to happen in our own lives to be able to speak lively into our families, into our friends, into the people around us. That's what the gospel is about. That's what spreading the gospel is and speaking life into people. But we it first must start as a revival in our own lives. Um, so we just, we just ask you to pray for that. Um, and we also want to, um, thank you for spending time together with us. And we value that time. Our prayers at this podcast help stretch your mind and becomes a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christian podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, soldier on friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christie Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christie Ministries, go to bellatorchristi.com.